Alright, welcome to another episode of The Light Bulb Factory, conversation centered on the church becoming the light of the world. This episode is a recording from College Hour, our weekly college ministry gathering at First Baptist Church Waco. If you are a college student in the Waco area, we would love to have you join us any Sunday at 9 a.m. in the College Lounge, where we talk about the way of Jesus together and discern what it looks like to live it out together as a community. Well, good morning, everyone. It's been a hot minute since I've been back here, and it is so good to see you. I have really missed Waco. I I know, I know. You may may think now that this is not possible, but um, just the community that I had here, and specifically Baylor, you guys don't know what a treasure you have, really in terms of being able to live so communally, to be living and working alongside other people who are doing the same things that you are doing, um, to be able to, to be able to worship together with the people that you might live down the hall with or like a five minute walk away from. Like that is really such a treasure. And once you graduate, you may appreciate it more. Um, and I also am so jealous of your weekly rhythms, the ways that you guys are intentionally leaning in to the ways that you are making and spreading and cultivating the kingdom amongst yourselves for the glory of God and to be a witness to all nations. I'm jelly. So as we begin, everyone close your eyes, go back in time. Imagine you are seven years old. Yes, you, each each one of you are seven years old and the Uno cards have just been dealt. Your older brother gave you a leg up earlier by practicing with you and going over some strategies. He winks at you from across the table. You've got this. As the game progresses, you keep having to lay down your cards, but thankfully, you get a few chances to refuel your stack. Soon enough, your persistence is rewarded. Your brother has mismanaged his cards and has put his last down. Oh my gosh, the feeling of victory. You have won, right? Uh, well, everyone's acting a little strange. Your mom like goes over, pats your hand, says, better luck next time, honey. You're like, what? What's that about? I did great. Dad rolls his eyes as your brother gets out of his chair to do an absurd dance. Okay, what? What's going on? I, did I miss something? Did I, did I miscalculate? What, what world is this? What rules are we playing by? I thought I knew. What world is this? You have been duped, okay? Open your eyes. So, over the past couple of weeks, y'all have been in First Peter. You've been hearing about a people who are suffering, who are disenfranchised, who've been told the good news of a kingdom that is here. A good news of kingdom that is hope and healing and shalom and justice. These people, these believers, this family, they have placed their hope in Christ, the ruler of all creation, of the kingdom that is here, right? At hand. But, um, you look around, the world is playing by different rules. This is, this is confusing. They may be asking these Christians who, who are following the word that they've been given and yet seem to be losing, they may be asking, what kind of world is this? 
what, what is, what is the rule of this world? Whose world is this really? I mean, we were told, but this doesn't, it's not making sense. Have, have they been duped? How, how is the score going to be counted? In the end, it would be so easy to lose hope. And Peter, Peter does not dismiss their pain, yet he encourages them, don't be swayed by the claims of authority of this world. Peter exhorts them to continue to do the work that they are doing, being the people chosen to reveal the kingdom to all nations. He's telling them to continue to do the work that's leading to their suffering. What? So, seven-year-old you was cheated into false hope, leading to your demise when the score was counted according to rules which opposed the news you'd been given. You had placed your hope in the wrong authority of a false realm. But thanks be to God that our help is found in a much surer place than your older brother. So, the believers in 1 Peter had been born anew, entered into a new kingdom, been given new rules and loves, a whole new way of being in the world. This good, strange news. And they were playing it out, but it wasn't the same as the kingdom of this world. And it led to confusion, to conflict, and losing the game. They were persecuted and isolated. Had they been duped? Who is really in charge? Is this good kingdom real or just a fantasy? Should they just give up and play by the rules just to get by? The kingdom is at hand! Which hand? <laughs> Not the one they were dealt. Where is the kingdom? Okay, does anyone see it? I don't. They don't. Where is the kingdom? And who is really in charge? I would say one of the one of the places that we see the kingdom is within the, the family of believers. We see it in God's abundance of grace within them. We see um, their love and forgiveness of one another. We see their hospitality toward one another. This is where the kingdom is. It's not in the relationship between the world and them. That certainly doesn't look like shalom. Um, but this family of believers is being called to be the kingdom, to locate the kingdom where they are, to drag the kingdom from the future into their present. So one of the encouragements that Peter gives to this family of believers is the coming judgment. For us, judgment may stir up confusion, discomfort, uh, but to an isolated people experiencing injustice, the judgment by Christ in whom they have believed is much needed and anticipated. Have you ever been home and like, I don't know, one of the neighbors or your older brother is picking on you and you just can't wait for your parents to come home so finally you can be vindicated? Okay, I'm actually an only child, but I hear stories, okay? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So they are waiting and longing and hoping for this judgment, which to us seems kind of out of place. Throughout the entire letter, Peter uses judgment as an argument for hope and for perseverance. In chapter one, verse 17, since you call on a father 
who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. In chapter 2, verse 23, speaking of Jesus, Peter says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In chapter 4, returning, verses 5 and 6, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, the quick and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. He's making a distinction between human judgment and God's judgment. In verse 17, Peter invites the imagination for what the coming sentence will be for the unbelieving world, for those who are persecuting them. He says, if it begins with us, what will the outcome be then for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Interesting, the gospel is something that demands obedience. Good news to be believed and lived into. This judgment at the end of time will be a time of vindication. The persecuted church who has been disregarded, ignored, and sidelined is sharing in Christ's sufferings and will then be overjoyed with Christ's glory when it is revealed. So keep going, keep doing good, because the kingdom, the world, the reality you have received will come in full and all creation will be judged by your Lord. The kingdom is placed in hope in the future of this judgment of the king that they have placed their hope in. And yet it is also something that they are pulling into the present by the ways that they are living, that they are creating and making space and cultivating the kingdom among themselves. The reference to judgment is not just a jab at their persecutors, <laughs> just wait, you know, but also it is a call to the family of believers to continue in their work of the kingdom now, for they too will be held to account. In fact, Peter says that their present sufferings are the beginnings of just punishment within the church. While that may seem really odd to us, what this does is continue to emphasize the authority of Christ, that somehow even the persecutors are currently under God's reign and they do not serve their own purposes. The church's trustworthy creator and judge holds all things in his hands. So, amidst a world that does not look like the kingdom preached to them, Peter reminds them that Christ will indeed come again and judge rightly, that their hope is not false. They have not been duped. And now only, and not only will the kingdom come in the end, but Peter calls them to, into the kingdom at their present time. He calls them to spread and cultivate the kingdom by living it out amongst themselves and their interactions with the world they are persecuted by. They are called to be the kingdom now in the hope that it will be in the future. So the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of Christ is to be present with them now as they live in obedience 
because of the hope and the promise that it will become fulfilled in the future when Christ is revealed. They are to drag the future into the present by living as if the kingdom is already here because it is. So in what way does the kingdom found amongst the believers in verses seven through 11 differ from the kingdom of the world? One word that comes to my mind is abundance. This pocket of heaven, this family who has, been cho who has chosen to be obedient to the kingdom of Christ is full of gifts of forgiveness, support, and strength. Although they may be lacking material things, they are rich in their love for one another, for value and importance. No one needs to compete for these things in kindness to one another. They're not called to be stingy, but to be open and trusting and welcoming and truthful and faithful to one another. Wow. This is the kingdom. This, if we were asking earlier, where is the kingdom? There it is. It is they're not finding it in the relationship between themselves and the world. Okay, they're not seeing the reign of Christ maybe every day that they look out their window or every time that they're unfairly taxed or every time that they're told, no, sorry, you can't live here or every time that they're turned away from business. No, it's not there. It is within the community that has been chosen to be a pocket, a pocket of heaven and of God's shalom that they may witness to the rest of the world that all nations may come into this kingdom. So... Now, through most of our time this morning, we have focused on God as judge and as authority, especially in terms of action at the end of time. We are focusing on judgment throughout Peter um, and how that offers them hope that, yes, okay, you, that you have not been duped, that the world is as you, have, as you have heard it in terms of the kingdom, and it will be consummated in the future. Part of that is judgment. But not only is this kingdom in the beginning, not only is God's authority in the end of time, but also in the beginning. In verse 19, Peter draws on imagery of God, the creator, the one who was before anything else. He says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Not only does God's authority stretch before and after their suffering, but God himself is faithful. The one who holds all these things is faithful and to be trusted, even when it seems that God's will is that they should suffer. They are called to commit, to place themselves before, to entrust themselves to the will of God, knowing that he created them, that he loves them, that he has called them, and that he will judge those who are persecuting him, them. This word for commit is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Psalm 31, five. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, O faithful God. You may recognize this as Jesus's words in Luke's gospel on the cross. This whole Psalm praises God for deliverance, even amidst isolation and persecution and discouragement. And at the end of Psalm 31, it ends with an encouragement appropriate to this family of believers. 31 verses 23 to 24 say, Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. 
but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Many of us here in this room today may not immediately resonate with the plight of these Christians who are part of our own body in Christ. And that should tell us something. Most of us, compared with Christians and other persecuted minorities in the States and across the whole world and throughout time, compared to them, we actually have a lot of power, whether we notice it or not. While we may have political power struggles or moral complaints for our society, most of us in this room do not fear for our lives. Okay, we're not worried about losing food or housing for our families. And so we ought to be very careful when translating this particular example of persecution to our experiences of social awkwardness or problems of conscience that we find throughout our days. If we seem to be winning the game in our lives, it may be time for us to discern which rules we are following. And if there are those in our body of Christ who need us to share our power as a gift of God's abundant grace. But in any case, we can certainly be encouraged and reminded to hope in a God whose kingdom extends before and after our lives. We may be exhorted to both hope in the future kingdom and to drag it into the present by cultivating the kingdom for the praise of God to align our loves, our habits, our speech, and relationships to the will of our faithful creator, savior, and judge. This world is playing by corrupt rules, but we know who will be counting the score. Therefore, let us live according to God's reign in whatever circumstances. Service, abundance, and uprightness, all of these things for God, God's praise. And let us offer ourselves to God who is faithful, your creator from the very beginning and your judge to come in the end. Let us give ourselves over to the kingdom of God. Our hope, our trust, our loyalty, and our obedience all belongs to our faithful creator, savior, and judge. May we live according to God's good news that it may be seen as a light in our midst for the praise of God and for the glory of Christ that all nations would see and hear and believe. <laughs>